Hello and welcome to this special bonus episode of The Dairy Edge. Chagas are running a weekly Let's Talk Dairy webinar series, which is also being made available as a podcast. On this week's webinar, Patrick Going joins Stuart Childs to discuss the marginal cow. Good morning, uh, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to this week's Let's Talk Dairy. So, um, as I said to you last week, um, Patrick Going is joining me today to talk, carry on from the theme of the milk recording and the use of milk recording, we'll say, to identify poor performing cows on farm. So last week I was talking about the cell count management piece of milk recording. And today Patrick is going to talk about identifying those cows that in a very high cost year, uh, while milk price is very good, obviously, there are still cows, there are always cows that are on farms that aren't covering their own way. And I suppose we're probably inclined to truck along with them, Patrick, and leave them there because they're there. Um, but in reality, they're actually rob- we're robbing Peter to pay Paul in a lot of cases. So you have a few slides that you're going to show us in relation to that. Uh, and of course, we are, as always, we'll encourage people to ask us plenty of questions in relation to it. So you shoot away there. Thanks, George. So, yeah, look, this is a piece of work that was done. It was actually done for the uh, training with our own advisors. Um, and let's look at stocking rate. And I suppose we do go into marginal cows and all that. And I suppose with all these things that we've pulled from a good lot of the, our, the KT team that Stuart and I are on. So some of this came from myself, James Dunn, uh, George Ramsbottom and Joe Patton. And basically, everything, look, when we talk about marginal cows and all that, everything basically fundamentally goes back to stocking rates and grass availability. Um, we just wanted to step through a few different parts of it. Um, what we see has been important for the year. I suppose the first thing to look at is, from a national point of view, where are we um, from a fodder purchase? So George Ramswatt and pull all this stuff together, looking at um, our profit monitor data and seeing well, what proportion of farmers are buying forage. And the reason why I was looking at that is just to, uh, to see, well, one is the, it, it estimates the amount of grass utilized on farm, as you can see over on the right-hand side. And the other is how vulnerable some farms are to buy and purchase forage. Or maybe there are some farms, as you said, Stuart, that kept the cows, maybe shouldn't have kept the cows, and uh, um, they'll find themselves a little bit stretched, maybe off trying to secure silage ground or buy an extra forage, and in particular in a high-cost year, as I said, uh, maybe causing issues. So we look at an, on, the, on the average, which is, I'll just turn on my uh, laser pointer a second. <clears throat> so we look at on the average, oh, and this is done over 750 farms, there's only about 3% of the forage is bought in. So that's of the, of the available forage is brought in into the cow, and that's excluding the meal. So that is uh, feed brought in, in the, uh, like uh, maize or silage or whatever. So on average, you could say we're fairly right. And we looked at the stock rates at 2.33. And the grass used on these farms were 10 tonne, which would match back in with a lot of national stats. So on average, as with all averages, we're not too bad. As we look forward into the current year, with the price of meal and everything else, like that going up, most farms are able to grow uh, what they need for themselves and only buy buying a small bit. But again, with everything, averages can be deceiving. And within that then, there's a good cohort, uh, 320 of them. They're not buying any forage. But there's a, a section down here where there's 177 farms of the 740. They're buying in 10% of the total forage. So there's a good few farms out there that rely heavily on buying in forage. Um, and these farms there, the question is with them, well, one is have the security in their fodder in the current year. But also, is it, are, we, are the cows they have on farm paying for this additional forage coming in? And I suppose we want to dive more into them there. The interesting point there, obviously, as we go along there, the stocking rates, have increased, but there's no 
uh, increase in the grass grown and utilization figures. So even though the farms are stocked heavier, uh, the farms are not growing any more grass and the balance is having to come in uh, in outside fodder. Is that all right, Stuart, are any questions on that? Yeah, so Patrick, I suppose just when the quarters went, the opportunity was there to ramp up, obviously, and people have stocked up on their platforms. Are we saying, or or is is that piece of work saying that it's not profitable to do that, or or what's what what exactly are we saying there? What we're saying there is first of all, it's an overall stocking rate, so the, the grass utilizes over here is on the overall across the whole farm. Okay. Um. So the farm, when we look at profit monitor data. We all know we what the discussion groups, whatever we go onto the milking platforms and milking platforms and a lot of farms are humming quite well. Soil fertility start to improve, good grazing infrastructure, all that. But the outside blocks tend not to uh, perform to the same level and are pulling us back. And when we look at the average growth, then it's well, it's not bad. Uh, it's not as high as you might expect when you see what's going. Um, some farms are able to do on the milking platforms, and to neither the the outside blocks are not growing to their potential. This is not showing anything to do with profit. So this is just showing where, where uh, how the cow is fed during the year. The, the, the question when it comes then is the cows that you have and the system you're in, are they, for this additional fodder that you're bringing in, are they paying themselves for that? Or is it all this extra work with these extra stock, uh, cows is, it, uh, is paying its way? So all this is identifying is where we are from a, a purchase forage point of view, where we are from a stocking rate point of view. I do think there, there was a, Maybe for a while, you know, as we increase stocking rates substantially, we will grow more grass. I think for a lot of farms now, um, farm, farms can grow what they can grow. The, the gains in uh, grass growth are minimal from now on, like maybe in some places where we get soil fertility. So if you basically if you find yourself stretched for silage reserves, don't have a lot of silage left over, um, going out to market to buy stuff, our additional cow is right for you. I suppose is that the answer is that that's true. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Like I suppose what you're saying there as well is that the uh, well so like vast majority of farms, soil fertility isn't right still. So uh, in some cases we'll say those farms that are buying in forage by concentrating on that and, and getting that right, they could actually eliminate that purchase forage possibly and still carry the numbers that they do have. Yeah. So it's about with, it, with there's no right or wrong answer on any yeah. of these things, and it's about asking a question on each farm. So if you're not growing the grass, can you grow more grass? Uh, if you can, then do what you have to do to do that. If you can't grow any more grass on your farm, whether it's a drought-prone farm or whatever restrictions the farm has, then should you be carrying the cows? And is it pain to carry these additional cows um, to buy in this extra fodder? Um, and some of that then is in the current year, and we'll go into it as well. Like uh, if you are, for them, cohort of farms that are buying a significant proportion of their forage in, um, they can't be going to market. Like it'd be very important that they have it, a secured supply, whether they have buying silage on the stem or whatever it is, or a maze on contract. At least they, they need to know they have it because the market we're in at the moment is very variable. Okay. So uh, just on that, then, as we said, with the options around for purchase forage, if you need to buy forage, make sure you have it. Um, we you would have discussed that last week too, there around the lame cows and high cell count cows. Obviously keeping cows longer on farm, keeping a higher stocking rate, um, reduces the amount of available silage you can grow during the year and save. So the earlier cull them on low performers when we're looking at now at the moment, and based on what you did last week as well, with the high cell count, lame cows, the ones that nearly self-cull, the sooner they go, the more silage you can conserve. And uh, James done did this work here. 
but so if you sell in April while we're going past that, um, if you sell cows in April, you'll save an extra 25 tons of silage. But if you hold them animals until September, um, you'll only save 12 and a half tons of silage. So basically the difference is the, the grass that the cow would eat during them summer months. When the cow is not there, then it's available to be put into the pit. Um, while if you keep her to the end of the year, uh, the only saving is what she would have ate in the, in the, during the winter period herself. Um, so if you find yourself short, getting rid of them low performers um, early can have a substantial uh, impact on your fodder budget for the end of the year. And look, we all know where meal is going and things like that. Like, so having a look at that and doing a fodder budget, while the grass growth has been really reasonably good and there's a lot of silage med, it's a very good opportunity now to sit down, uh, do your fodder budget, see where you are, because we can't, we can't afford any shocks towards the end of the, the year or early next year. Yeah. And I suppose again, Patrick, just on that as well, with the, like if John Maher or Joe Dunphy or John Douglas were on there, no, they'd be also saying about the importance of maybe getting rid of those um, poor performers just to, to allow you to build the grass as well for the back end to avoid having to put in costly feed to try to stretch grass like. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Um, so the sooner to go, uh, the lower the stocking rate, which either has two effects. One is you build grass or conserve grass or you leave more grass available for the better cows are there. So no matter what way you look at it, um, it's a, a win-win. Okay. And look, this, this is, a, again, this is just cost figures and things that James will have done up. It's likely just going to be dear. Um, so if we are going to market, uh, one is, will it be available? Um, number two, um, if it is available, what price will it be at? So we just need to make sure we have fodder security in the current year. Well, in every year, I suppose, but in this year in particular. Okay, this is just a little bit too, I suppose, it's all lining up to what, when we got to the margin of cows, Stuart, um, the cost difference between 2021 and 2022. So last year for the dairy conference, James Dunn and I did work about where we looked at the cost structure of cows over the period from 2015 to 2020 and how, what the growth was like. And then we always also projected forward for 2022. And... I'd say our projections were right for about two to three weeks and then fertilizer and meal and the whole lot uh, started moving. And so we re-looked at it there again just to see where we're going. And again, for anyone that hadn't seen that paper, like it was basically the cost of keeping a cow had been tipping around 1,100 around in 2015, sort of creeped up to 1,300 over the five-year period. And then it took a significant jump in the last two years up to the period of 2020. So we ended up in 2021 with the average cost of keeping a cow, so that's a cow and a replacement unit of 1656 So for every cow and a replacement unit following behind that, so um, it's €1,600. And when we project forward, that's going to increase by up in €550, or um, bringing it up to €2,200 per uh, livestock unit on the farm. And as you can see, the main ones, which are not no reason to what we've done there, is obviously the meal has gone up. Fertilizer is the biggest jump, significant. And when we look back over the previous years, fertilizer had actually been quite consistent and fallen um, over the, the period of 2015 to 2020. That's the one that's really took a, a jump. Meals, the level of meal feeding was relatively consistent as well. It had creeped up a small bit on, in that period. But obviously the purchase price has gone up substantially there. Contractor, again, that's been creeping up on energy costs. Other variables haven't moved as much, but some of them are starting to move now in the likes of uh, medicines and things like that, polythene and all that are, start, are going up in price. So what we got is a lift in your variable cost of 500 euro. 
and most of that lift is coming from fertilizer. Um, so again, a poor cow didn't have to do as much work there to cover herself. She has a lot more work to do now to cover her, cover her skin because the cost of keeping these cows is substantial. If you load that on where you have to start putting in purchase for, forage, so if we go off and you have to buy in a lock of bales or whatever it is, that's going to increase that figure, which puts further pressure on the lower performing cows. We'll just look at the fixed cost. Fixed cost, it's mainly a variable cost problem we're in at the moment. Some of the fixed costs around ESB um, are, and a little bit on repairs and maintenance are the ones that are increasing, but most of the increase is coming on um, variable costs. If we look into next year, if I'm going to do predictions into next year, probably very hard to say, but meal probably looks like it's going to um, increase further again. And we're not sure, sure fertilizer seems to be in a dip at the moment, but may or may not be um, back to, I can't see it substantially drawn, falling. So we're not looking at any reason why it'll be a whole lot less, uh, if not a little bit more for next year. And more the reason to set ourselves up when we're looking at what type of cows we're keeping, what system we're in, make sure we're right. It's costly to keep cows on farms at the moment. So we'd have to make sure we're in the right system with the right cows, if that's fair enough, Stuart. Yeah, sure. And I suppose, Patrick, very crudely, like just that 2,200 euro there that you have down, it's like 4,400 litres has to be sold to cover that. Yeah, so that's it. The break even milk solids is the way I do it, uh, Stuart. So you take the, the, the cost of the euro per kilo milk solid divide, the price you're getting, uh, in, you're getting per euro kilo milk solid into that, and that'll tell you the amount of kilos of milk solids a cow has to deliver. Yeah. To, co to cover herself now you within that there and i know you would have pointed out before like we also have to allow for drawings and tax and principal repayments that are not accounted for in the profit monitor so like there's other costs on farm as well so like it's quite high and i think it's the big thing is uh, um post 15 an average cow you would have got away with her um, you know meal was relatively cheap um fertilizer was relatively cheap probably weren't as stocked as heavy at that point as well and you probably would have I would, well, maybe it's getting away with it is a, a bad term, but she probably would have been all right. But the squeezes come on them now, and we really have to start looking at them. Mm. Okay, so uh, the title of the thing is Marginal Cows Milk. Um, what is it? Um, and I know the first time I heard about Marginal Milk and all that was John Roach at the Irish Grasslands Association a good few years ago in Kilkenny. And I couldn't get my head around it, to be honest with you. Is when is a marginal cow a marginal cow or when is marginal milk marginal milk and trying to figure it back through my own clients at the time and the business plans I would have done and I just I just found it hard and I suppose the simplest way to put it is, is looking at the cost effective additional cows so some of this when you're looking at marginal milk is actually before you make the jump what's the effect of additional cows on your cost structure and I think where I was getting confused Stuart was for a lot of the farms that already had jumped and then you're trying to justify the cows on your farm already and you don't like being called them cows being called margin because you're yeah whether you have done the parlor or whatever you've done you don't coming out and saying the margin cows then doesn't go down well so a lot of this is looking at when you're in a good system uh, balanced from a grass and fodder point of view and all that what's the cost structure effect of additional cows so by changing your your system so that's more like a stocking rate effect by increasing stocking rates how what does that do with your cost structure and I think sometimes it can be confused with uh, averages. So we're very good. We just average everything out. And I think sometimes I, I put that down as a scenario like land purchase. So you buy land, you milk an extra 20 cows, for example. 
but we average it out over the original cows as well. So we, you know, so the, the, obviously the twenty cows don't pay for the land, but we average it at the whole cost of, uh, across the original cows there. And we pay for the land on we go. We average it sometimes just spread it out over the existing cows. And when we look at marginal milk, I think that's where we get lost. Is people work on averages, look across the whole herd, and spread it out, and doesn't look as bad. And the other way of putting it is very similar to a partial budget. So sometimes when we're doing business plans. I do a partial budget, so I just do it the figures on the additional cows. So what are what are what are the extra cows going to make extra money or not? Um, and again, it gets away from the confusion of pushing it across the whole herd. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So if we take an example. This is a rough example. So if we take 100 cows stocked at two and a half livestock units per hectare, and they're feeding a ton of cows, so I call that a very very similar to the, the on the first chart we put up there, the George Rams bottom of done. No, they're fodder self-sufficient. They're feeding about a ton, growing about ten and a half ton. Okay, not too. You know, they're 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 thereabouts going well. Farmer wishes to increase cow numbers, and we has no extra available land, so he wants to go to three point one livestock units per hectare overall. That's an additional twenty four cows. So he's going from one hundred to one hundred twenty four. So it's not a massive lift, but uh, obviously for the farmer, uh, it's it's significant. But to achieve that. He has to feed an additional 200 kilos a meal, assuming no extra grass growth. So that comes back to the question, if the farm can grow more grass, then grow more grass. If it can't grow more grass, the feed or the energy has to come from somewhere. And I do think sometimes when we're looking at cows and milk in production, it's basically an energy in and an energy out type calculation. So if the grass is not there, we have to fill it with something else. In the scenario here, there's nothing to say that there was going to be additional growth uh, or an additional grass growing. If we look back at the original chart too, it showed us as we increased the stocking rate, there was no additional growth based on the profit monitor data. So again, the hope that by putting extra cows, extra grass will grow, didn't correspond in what George had put up on the profit monitor results from the very first slide. But if you look at it on average, you've only increased your feed costs across every cow by 80 euros. You know, we're only 80 euro extra feed costs per cow. You're making another 24 cows on average. It's not too bad really. But when we look at the marginal cow um, and we look at an average, we make ourselves feel good, but at a herd level, it doesn't look too bad. So when we're doing it out, when you calculate it out, you have to look at the, putting the full cost of changing the system to the additional cows. So if we look at that there, so while we only increased by 200 kilos, at a herd level, we were feeding before the change of one ton. So that's 100 cows by one ton, very straightforward calculation. At the higher stocking rate, when we went to 3.1, we now feed 148 or nearly 150 ton. So you have extra cows and you're feeding all the cows extra meal. So you have the extra cow, 24 cows getting 1.2 ton, but you also have the additional cow, the, the original cows, the 100 cows are getting um, another 0.2 of a ton. So in total, you're feeding an extra 48.8 ton or 20,000 at 400 euro a ton. So your feed budget, just on dairy concentrates alone would increase by 20,000. Whereas we looked at before when we had on the average, it was at 80 euro a cow and you said it wasn't too bad. And in the marginal milk, you put the full cost of the additional feed across the additional cows. And you can see at that point then, it's getting hard for these addi the additional cows to make extra money. And that's what you do. And you, yeah, you can step that on further if you want to put on, look, I have to put on slurry storage at the higher labor and the whole lot. But fundamentally, the main costs will come back to the feed budget. And it's interesting to note there, uh, Stuart, of the 50 ton or 48 ton extra that's been fed, 
20 of that ton is to the original cows. So you're basically loading 20 extra ton of feed or eight grand across the original cows. So you're, make, you're reducing the profitability of the original cows as well because you have to feed them more to sustain the system. This is now before we start looking at it, will our performance reduce at lower stock rates or anything like that. But I think it's the simplest way to look at if we can't grow the grass, how do we feed them? And the additional feed cost is put against additional cows. Is that fair enough, Stuart? Yeah, and I suppose the key thing there too, Patrick, uh, is that like if we're growing 10 tonne, we're not going to grow 14 next year just because you have extra cows. No, and again, if we, uh, well, like if we go back to uh, uh, that, um, that's increasing stock rate again. So they're very similar. Um, it was, we lifted it up, I think it was three to whatever, it was a similar lift. No, there's actually more grass growing here on average of the farms. There's no additional grass based on increasing the stock rate. The only thing that changed was extra forage came in. Yeah. So you're buying, buying literally the marginal milk is buying, you're buying that milk really like. Yes. Uh, the, for the additional cows, the, yeah. the, the extra milk they gave, buying a heap of meal across the whole herd delivered yeah and again as when we do it on an average when we look at there's only 80 euro cow milk price is good we, f- we feel good about ourselves um but when you look at and what you've done to your system um do it and that's the way it works out like you know so um and where a lot of this stuff is coming from and i'm not going to go too much into detail on this this is stuff that joe worked that joe Patton did and again, as I said at the start, it, it, this is very similar to energy in, energy out. So what Joe has done is, and he, he's available to all the Chagas advisors, and he's done at a different level of output. Um, and it's basically at different stocking rates and a different grass growth potential. And if you think about it, that's the energy out. This is the energy in. And whenever, wherever the gap is, you have to feed it with something. And then he, based on that, he's able to calculate what meal would be put in. Or as stocking rates increase, will the farm be able to grow enough silage for itself or have to buy fodder? And that's the fun. Now, without getting into massively into detail on that, and look, if I want to take a snapshot of that, you can read through it yourselves. But that's the fundamental basics in the background of that. It takes energy to produce the milk. It takes energy to keep the cow on the farm and from a maintenance point of view. You have to put where to get that energy from. It's going to come from your grass, your fodder, and potentially the supplementary feed. If the grass not there, it has to come from somewhere else. If you're doing that, in light of what we said already, with all the cost structure increase, you're getting into very close to marginal cows. And particularly if you're not able to grow that additional grass. The differing equation, as you can see, as you start stepping up into extra grass growth, by, uh, by doing different things on your farm, so maybe you have a lot of the farm not receded, you go and recede it. Uh, soil fertility is an issue, you do that. So you, you, you spend money to fix the grass, you utilize, you grow more grass, and then you're able to realize the value of that grass. I just think throwing on the extra cows with the hope of extra grass coming, Stuart, it's probably, maybe a lot of farmers probably just hope that happened and find themselves now that it didn't happen. You know, you usually have to do something to make the grass grow. Yeah. Is that okay? Yeah. So like, while we're, and I suppose it's important, it's an important piece from the point of view of, okay, we're talking about these marginal cows and we're saying that they're on every farm or that they're, that, that there's potentially on every farm or not knocking people moving up either. We're saying like, if you have the ability to do it, like your, your ability to grow grass is going to be the, the defining, the figure that defines your stocking rate really. Yeah. Um, look, everyone has to sit back and like, we, we could come out and say like, give some figure and say every cow above a certain level is marginal. We don't know. Every farm is different. So every farm has a different set of circumstances and every farm has to look at. So 
every farm has different growth potential, mm. different stock, different cows, different demands on the farm. But the key thing as we look forward is, and particularly from that fodder point of view, if we're in a position where we're keeping low performing cows based on the cost structure and having to buy fodder in, you can see there, no matter what way you twist it, they are margin. Yeah. The real definition of the marginal cows is when, you, when you're at a starting point where you're balanced, if you want to call it, and then you do the marginal cow calculation before you jump. So you say you're stocked at 2.5 cows an hectare, you're investigating increasing your stocking rate. You basically do your marginal cow thing there where you put the full feed cost against the additional cows and then you do your figures. But for some people, and we'll show that now in an example in a minute, um, marginal cows is nearly a backward step. We may be in the marginal cow situation already. We're a bit stretched. Uh, we're struggling to get our fodder requirement in and maybe a step back uh, to a more uh, normal level um, or a, a matched level to your grass growth would be a better thing. Okay. But, uh, and that's where I, when I said I was confused at the start, so that, that's where I struggled with the marginal cow because I was with farms so maybe had gone too far trying to figure out where, yeah. when I was where being explained by John Roach yeah. at the start before they jumped. Yeah. And that, that was where the difference was. Um, that's just another example. Again, same thing. It's just done at a higher end. They're actually the figures I used <clears throat> for the example. So I pulled some of the figures um, directly off Joe's table. It was a 450 kilo card, but basically close to the slightly better than national average. Um, same idea, different stock risks, uh, different grass grown, and what's the effect on the cow for the amount of energy you have to provide on your silage um, situation. Yeah. And I suppose if you just look at the, even the two and a half cow stocking rate there, that you can see the ten and a half ton, that there is a buffer silage required there, and it's as you move up in grass growth that you, you can remove that require for buffer. Yep. So as uh, as you grow more grass, the same amount of cows, there's more grass available, so therefore you don't have to fill the bands. Yeah. You'll also see that the, as you grow more grass, the meal feeding will drop because again, what Joe is looking at. How much energy does it take to do that? And how do I yeah. fill the energy? If the grass is not there, I have to feed it with something else. If the grass is there, I don't have to put in something else. So again, I think some of all this, when we look at stocking rates and we look at everything, maybe we overcomplicate it and basic farming is relatively simple. And it's as simple as all that. That's just an example there of like a, a good performing farm, stocked to two and a half, uh, 700 kilos. You could nearly call this, I suppose, the close to a, a more Park blueprint. Uh, and the farm's in balance, you know, it, it, it has a bit of surplus silage coming off it and no requirement for buffer. But as short says, as you can see, as you move across um, at the stocking rates, that farm then becomes uh, in a deficit for silage um, as well, fairly quick. So within this then, I suppose one of the questions was, how do you identify if you have marginal cows or not? And we just, just an example taken off profit monitor. Um, and again, now, so the profit monitor, what we're using here is, we want to see uh, a farm and what would be the effect of nearly jumping backwards. And for this, and this is available for all uh, clients, they're doing profit monitor. We have a, a forward budget or basically on profit monitor where we can take your last year's data, um, put it in, create a set of assumptions for it around milk price, stocking rates, feed, and all that kind of stuff, and it'll project forward the, the likely cost of production um, and your profits for the coming year. It's very useful um, just to see where you're going. And you could argue it's a version of, 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 to do it before um, you make the jump, if you like, uh, from a margin milk point of view. So there's two scenarios we looked at. One is assume this farm uh, is buying in fodder, and I'll show it to you in a second. 
So we assume that he's able to buy in the fodder every year. Um, that you know he has it on contract or whatever way it's coming in, and he just sticks in the current system. So and the other one then is where we reduce the stocking rate in line with the figures that Joe prepared there. So reduce your stocking rate in line with grass utilized figures for the farm. So we have two options. So we ran the, the EPM forward projector twice um, to see how it would look. And what's the impact of dropping the additional cows? So we'll just have a look at that there now. So this is where the farm is currently. Um, so you can see stocked heavy overall, stocked heavy on the milking platform. So they'd be in the, the this farm would be in the, the bottom box in George tables, you know, the people who are buying in a substantial amount of fodder. Um, it's kilos of milk solids is 445. So very similar to the energy type figures we used for the marginal cow simple example we did. Okay, so that's where he's at. Um, we look forward on the figures, then from his input point of view, being about 1.35 ton dairy concentrates last year and feeding about three ton equivalent of silage. So it's equivalent of three ton of silage per cow by body. Okay. Out of, a, right. out of a total feed budget of somewhere in the region of five and a half ton of cow. Yeah. That'd be fresh right now. Uh, okay, sorry. Yeah. 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 It's three ton fresh. So uh, still a substantial, be still a 20% or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So this then, they're, they're the main two things that are driving these variable costs. It's a feed, the cost of keeping the cows in the farm. He's also quite a heavy user of fertilizer. So because he's heavily stocked, he has to grow the grass. And even within that, he needs the dairy concentrates in and he needs to buy in purchase forage. Okay. So if we look at it from based on 2020 uh, data, uh, farm, large farm, made a good lot of profit. Again, this profit figure here, it would exclude his principal uh, tax and drawings so that would have to be taken out of it. Made 953 euro a cow. Uh, the national average last year on EPM was a bit higher than that. But he not wasn't too far off it. So, okay, you can say that's not too bad. So we run the scenarios in to see. So the, what we use for the forward projection is 54 centiliter up nine cent. So not too far off that. Um, we put the purchase concentrates up 100 to a ton. So we basically, if we go back to what James did where we looked at the cost structure increase, um, we basically implemented the same cost, the price rises uh, that we used that table on this. We purchased the forage and put up up to 45 euro a ton fresh for fresh silage. We put up the contractor costs. We didn't change any of the other variables because if we look back at the, what James had done, there was very little change. And we increased energy related costs by 50%. So that's your ESB and your machinery running costs. So they're the only changes we made to the cost structure. Okay. So the labor, land lease, all the vet, AI, they all stayed static uh, from it. So the main changes were the increase in fertilizer, uh, concentrate, fodder, and the milk price. So if we look at that going forward, even with a nine cent a litre increase in milk price, the farmer will have a lower net profit than he did in 2020. Still profitable now. So again, he's still a profitable farmer, still a substantial amount of money there, but he's at lower profit. And the reason why this farm is at lower profit is because he's more exposed to increases in the three main things, which is our uh, meal, fertilizer, and purchase forage. Everything that's going to be dealer, he uses a fair bit of. And so there, he, even though the milk price is up nine tenths a litre, 10 cent a litre into projections, he doesn't, he's not getting, because his cost structure is higher. So because he's reliant on these things, he doesn't gain as much of the lift as the average farmer. 
if I'm explaining myself right there, Stuart. Yeah. Yep, it's okay. So that's where it is. So as he moves on, he'll find a little bit of a pinch towards, but still the profitable and the milk prices um, helping them uh, in the system to sustain that. If we look at scenario two, so in scenario two, reduced by 28 cows and 20 replacement units. So if you think about, obviously, if you're, if you're long-term, you're going to have a, a smaller herd. You don't need as many heifers. So you reduce both. And what we're trying to do and the, way, the reason them numbers were picked was basically to get back to a scenario where he didn't have to buy any purchase fodder. So we went back, looked at Joe's tables, got to the stocking rate based on all the other things where he would not have to buy additional fodder. So that's the change we're after. And that equated to a drop in 28 cows and 20 replacement units. So when we say replacement units, it's uh, not the ones and one to twos. So it's to get it combined. We use the same milk price as scenario one, so there was no change in milk price. Same cost projections, so the same lift of meal, fertilizer, and forage, and all that. We didn't include the income for the sale of additional cows because that's a one-off as such. You sell them in one year, it won't be in the system going forward. So that money is not in this um, and would be available if you were required when they are sold. We did increase uh, the milk output. So the milk output increased to 467 uh, from 445. And that's matching back to what Stuart did last week with the um, milk recording. So we basically went in and looked at the annual, annual above first lactation animals, annual animals in the bottom 10% and pulled them out. We got their average kilos of milk solids, pulled them out and re-ran it with the existing cows. So we didn't look for any extra performance from the existing cows. We just took out the bottom 10% and that lifted the average overall. We would expect because we're destocking the system and all that, that you might get additional milk beyond that, but we haven't that put in. One, the main cost savings, no additional outside fodder was purchased. Same purchase concentrates per cow. So we left it at 1.35 ton. We didn't change that. And we didn't change the fertilizer rate per cow. We didn't change the labor. We didn't change land lease. So the only main change is the cows gave a little bit more and there was no silage and fodder bought in. Okay. Yeah. So basically you're kind of leaving everything the same. Uh, just to purely see the effect of changing the cow number here. But yeah. in reality... That wouldn't be the case. Your, your feed and fertilizer could possibly come down a little bit, like yeah, yeah. So it's, there's, there's I, I, doing the backwards the step. Yeah. So if we look at the, the simple thing we did on the marginal cow, there we're, do, we're we're doing this from going, going backwards, if you want to call it. Yeah, we're at the point we're going back, and we looked at when we looked at the marginal cow, we only looked at feed costs. So we're doing the same thing here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and what we didn't want to do either there, Stuart, I suppose, important. Like, so we say to justify this and say, look, you're dropping basically 50 livestock units there. You may cut the labor. Yeah. I don't think a lot of farmers, well, first of all, if they have the labor and they're to secure the labor, would go change an option for them. Yeah. Because um, that's a that's a hard, that's not a nice thing to have to do. Um, we didn't want to drop the land because there could be benefits around land, around other things going down the line and things like that. So they're the type of things when you come out and you say, look, yeah, look, if you drop the cows, you can drop the labor and you can drop the land and you do all that, you'll make more money. So we didn't. So we left all them in. We left the loan interesting. We left everything the same. Like, so you could argue the labor is getting paid better because he's less hand work to do. And maybe <laughs> the, maybe the, the, if there, if there was requirements around, then maybe increased slurry capacities on, under nitrates and things like that. We have, we left all that out because it wasn't the main question we're looking to answer. And if we look at these are the trees. This is the baseline figure up here. These are the other two here. 
And we look at it. So that's 2021. This is scenario one where we left the same thing together. And his profit per cow was 864. And this is scenario two. So there's, le- there's nine grand in the difference between scenario one and scenario two. Okay. But if you do look at over here, his margin per cow is 100 euro more um, than scenario one. So it's more sustainable or his break even or whatever you want to call it is higher. And it's actually matching the profitability from the baseline year. Now you might say, look, there's nine grand less and that and not to be sniffed at nine grand. But again, when you take out all the other considerations we left out of it, you can see the impact of the feed cost uh, uh, on the farm. So in this scenario, they don't have to buy extra fodder, less animals in the farm under less stress potentially, and there, there is scope for a, a extra output. And the question you'd ask there, are they doing a lot of work for nine grand? The other thing to note there, Stuart, as the price drops, and it will drop at some point, which is going to have the biggest impact on the one where you're using less of a, a, a inputs or the one where you're using more of them. So if you stay in the higher cost system, because it's not as profitable for a cow, as the price drops, this will actually sustain longer than this one will here. And that's what we're getting on a lot of farms is that we're just pushing it too far. We're milking the extra cows. They might cover themselves or maybe a little bit less. And again, if you go back to the original margin figures, when you put the full feed cost on them, they're not leaving as much as you think. And they're potentially putting the whole system under stress. Okay. Yeah. And again, if we go back and look, you start adding on the other little bits and pieces on it. The other, like if you take nine grand across 150 cows, I think it's only about five or six kilos of milk solids or something like that. So yeah. the, 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 the balance of the cows left increased by another five or six kilos of milk solids. It's not a whole pile. It'll be actually this exact same. Okay. And so, in reality, you would expect that that nine grand wouldn't actually be there. But because of the way we've done the scenarios here for this, there is a nine grand deficit. But in reality, the cows in scenario two are probably going to perform better there's probably going to be a reduction for the reduction in costs that you haven't factored in here that are going to actually equalize that difference probably. Yeah. Um, and like the way, the way we, I set up to the figures for scenario two to be not work, if you want to call it. So mm-hmm. you, you can get accused of a lot of things that you're massaging. Yeah. Yeah. Massaging the figure. So I did, I did everything. I didn't do anything to get the figure I wanted. If anything you could argue, I, I went the other way. Yeah. But I still managed to get it very close. Yeah. Um, yeah. And like the reality is, he's still probably a slightly bit overstocked. Uh, he's probably still, we didn't, as I said, we didn't reduce the fertilizer, we didn't reduce the meal. So there's, you'd, you'd find the nine grand easy. So then you would say, you're milking 30 cows, keeping an additional 50 livestock units on your farm for what? Nine. Yeah. It. Yeah. So, in summary, proportion of the farmers reliant on purchase feed. So, if you're look, if you're um, again, averages can be misleading. On average, there's no problem uh, from a fodder point of view. Uh, but there are some farmers are substantially exposed to purchasing fodder. Um, complete a fodder budget, as we said. Uh, make sure if you have the security, that's fine. Um, look at your, your costs are going to increase to keeping the cows make sure the cows you have are paying their way get rid of all the low performers the ones that self-call if you want to call it early as you can from fodder point of view 
you could argue that fodder this year, say this year, it'll be worth more next year because if feed particularly goes up in price. I think from a marginal cow point of view, like it's not that we are saying go out and pull it, ball of cows around like that. We're saying for everyone to look at their figures. You may choose, there may be reasons why you might say, well, like we're going to stock up in the short term because you may, there might be something happening that might happen down the line or for some reasons. It's not that you don't do these things, or um, but you have to understand how it's affecting your farm and your cost structure. And for some reason, then people may decide, look, for next year or two, we're going to have to do this until something else happens or whatever it is. And that's fine. But you're doing, you're doing an, ed, uh, an educated scenario rather than just chancing it. And what I would see, Stuart, is the planned growth post-quota, you know, where we did the business plans, and we did that, built the shed, the power, the whole lot. They were all, no, that was the easy bit. And then we got, I think, the accumulation of growth then. So every year there was additional 10 or 15 heifers. And every year additional 10 or 15 heifers were kept. And the, the cow numbers increased. So where we were at, say, stock that just call it on the milk and power from three cows to hectare. I think milk and power are going well. Next thing there's another, another row, and then there's another row. And after three to four years, because there's just a, such amount of young stock coming through, we, we actually changed our system without knowing we changed our system, if you know what I'm saying. I don't think anyone went out chasing this. It's just sort of natural. We got used to holding on to the stock, and that's the way it went. Yeah. And you'd seen a lot of farms there, and again, on profit monitor that, you'd see that in more mature-type groups. They're, they're just, they're, they, can't, they can't grow to more grass. They've probably gone a little bit beyond where they, they should be. And it, it wasn't a wasn't a decision that they decided to go that chase and something it's just sort of probably happened over time by accident rather than by design yeah like having yeah. the first child and the second one comes on with the accident like yeah yeah, yeah. and they keep coming then <laughs> yeah <laughs> so i suppose that in summary i suppose patrick then like you're t- what you're talking about is like i think a good analogy of it is um like you keep saying on average there and i can't remember where i read it but somebody said when your head is in the oven and your backside is in the freezer on average you're okay but like it does, yeah. it, it puts it into perspective, like, so, and there's um, there's an awful lot to be, like, wh- what we're talking about there as well, and following on from last week, is actually getting rid of cows that are underperforming. We're not necessarily saying that you're culling cows, but you're actually getting rid of cows that aren't just not going to, to, to they're not going to do anything for you. And the other thing, following on from what you said, like, as you said, if somebody sees an opportunity coming ahead of them, if you are going to stock up in that period of time, stock up with good cows. Yeah, that's a very, very important key key factor in that. Like, yeah, it's costing a lot of money to keep cows on farms. So, very good ones. Yeah, so we've stunned them into silence because there's uh, no questions, which I'm surprised by. But, um, so if anyone has a question, jump in quick. I suppose in the meantime, I'd uh, just like to thank you for coming on, Patrick, and for giving that, that presentation. And I think you, you broke it down nicely so people will have a, a good handle. It might be something that there could be a few questions come back on later because people will have time to chew on it over the course of the day or whatever. But um, in the meantime, uh, yeah, there's nobody. They're stunned, completely shocked by what you've done. <laughs> <laughs> well, last 10 years sounds like carry more cows now so we go back yeah so. it's all your fault <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> all right so thanks very much so next week i'm hoping to i haven't secured yet but i'm hoping to talk to some of the people in the national farm survey unit next week uh following on from the the release of the national farm survey figures for 2021 and we'll focus on the dairy numbers there 
Um, hopefully we'll get that sorted for next week. In the meantime, we wish you well for the week um, and stay firm to everybody and take care. That's all for this week's Let's Talk Dairy webinar series. And don't forget to look out for more bonus episodes each week. I'll be back with our usual Dairy Edge interview on Monday, so do listen in then. I'm Emma Louise Coffey and thanks for listening.